Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we're bringing you some baseball history on this wonderful day whenever you're listening to us. I hope it's wonderful. That's right. On this wonderful day, we're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be throwing at them, and that's dangerous. That's right. (laughs) It's a new discovery. (laughs) It's a new discovery, and this one's going to be a two-parter. A two-part episode. Two-part episode. Sean's going back-to-back. Okay. Yeah, so this is going to be quite the curveball, if we want to stick with that analogy. Okay. okay. Part one and part two, you're probably not going to see where it's going, and I ask our audience to, of course, bear with us. Mm -hmm. It'll be two weeks. Don't don't look up what happens, because you're not going to guess what happens. Okay. (laughs) You have to exercise some patience. In the in the fortnight between these two episodes, is that what you're saying? That's right. That's okay. Right. Uh, well, before you get started, let's tell the people to follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and on Instagram at Doing Baseball, and if you want on TikTok at Doing Baseball as well. Yep. And our own personal Twitters at Sean Do Baseball. That's correct, and at Eds Do Baseball. That's right. Hopefully, Edsy, you're 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 going to be uh, globe hopping. Globe, globe trotting. trotting. Yes, yes, I don't know. Globe. That would be like space stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to space. No, no, but you're, you're, you're traveling. You should do some uh, baseball TikTok from abroad. I think oh. I think the fans would like uh, that. I'll try my best. Try my <laughs> I'm best. just putting you on I'm going to try and enjoy Vietnam as much as I can. Well, exactly. You don't need to be worried yeah, about yeah. us. But for long flights, Sean Neds do baseball. Perfect podcast <laughs> for you true. to download. I can listen to myself talk. <laughs> no, I'm, not will. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. I Don't. probably will, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's good. Yeah, you can. Um, well, so I'm going to start the part one of this episode with a question okay. to you, Edzie. Do you know where right wing conspiracies come from? <laughs> uh, Self hatred? <laughs> well, in fact, I ended up learning. Didn't really intend to, but I actually ended up learning um, about a society that that started a lot of conspiratorial politics. uh, Interesting. That we still see to this day. So our story begins on December 9th, 1958. December 9th, 1958. Yes. So on this day, retired candy manufacturer Robert H.W. Welch Jr., Formed the John Birch Society. What? Yes. Why is it the John Birch Society? That's that is not a, his name. That's not his name. That's a great question, Edzie, and I have that answer for you in the next sentence. It's named after U.S. Army intelligence officer killed by communist Chinese uh, Maoists at the end of World War II. Okay. So, so this it's a was a revenge group. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. There, you got right to the point. It's a revenge clan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So basically, John Birch uh, is known as the first casualty of the Cold War. Oh. Okay. It was. It was. It was post World War Two, but World War Two. You know, we think of it as a finite ending. There was no. You know, 
one day it was just over. There was lots of shit going on. So, so this U.S. Uh, he was actually, I believe, uh, uh, well, claiming to be whatever, not a preacher, but a, a, a missionary. But he was also a U.S. Army intelligence officer, and they were like, "Nah, nah, buddy." And then they executed him, and everyone was really pissed. The, who did? Jo- uh, the Chinese communist oh, to Chinese John Birch. Communist. Yes, the, yeah, the mouse. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, on this chilly day in December 9th, 1958, uh, 11 of the wealthiest businessmen in the nation gathered in Indianapolis. Welch implored them to come together to fight back against the looming communist threat. He said the United States faced an existential threat from an international communist conspiracy hatched by an immoral game, ga- gang sorry, of sophisticated criminals. Okay. So... Everyone's he's, he's, on the edge of their seats right now. a bit of fear. Well, I mean, maybe he's on to something, right? Oh, okay. So he said the power hung... He's absolutely not. I'm oh, just being okay. facetious. <laughs> so, the power-hungry, God-hating government worshippers had infiltrated newsrooms, public schools, legislative chambers, and houses of worship. They were frighteningly close to total victory. The communists. Yes, in the United States, of course. All right. This is in 1958. Just within inches of victory. Yeah, so over two days he laid laid out his case to his millionaire friends. Uh, The perpetrators of this, of course, were current president and World War II general and hero, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. He was a puppet for the communists. Everybody knew it. (laughs) So this Especially is, this guy. Yeah, this is this is. The, I'm just like picturing the meme of Charlie Day with like the fucking yeah the the bulletin board with all the strings and he's like looking insane. Well, and and Eisenhower is is you know he's a Republican, he's conservative, but he also you know especially as he's leaving office, he's like hey, all this militarism, not great, mm-hmm. and. You know, fringe groups like the John Birch Society were like, communists! Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of state we're in right now. Um, and yeah, he also, they also believed that the UN was part of the plot. You know, the yeah. UN was yeah. gonna, it was a worldwide conspiracy to, you know... To make the communists yeah, to be well, communists. And, yeah, and there's some anti-Semitism in there, too. It's all baked in, right? So uh, as, as, the, <laughs> okay. as the civil rights movement grew... As we get into the early 1960s, uh, well, I mean, it was going on throughout the 50s. I shouldn't say that. Uh, So the John Birch Society accused communists of inciting racial tensions in the United States and claimed basic civil rights for black people as part of the communist plot. Mm, Because everything was just fine before the communists came in. Before they were communists, (laughs) everyone was happy. Um, that's, That's what they said. So the society went on a spree of political slander, eventually targeting Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren for his support of integration and civil rights laws. Yeah, yeah fuck him. <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly what they said. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so at its peak... Sarcasm. Yes, absolutely. Way, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're almost done with them. But at its peak, uh, at least 30,000 paying members, and uh, they had over 400 bookstores. Many mainstream conservatives found the group's ideology to be detestable, conspiratorial, and racist. Go figure. Uh Yeah. Because it sounds like it was. It sounds like exactly what it was, (laughs) right? I mean, (laughs) call a spade a spade. Exactly. So even, like, completely 
people I disagree with completely, uh, like William H. Buckley, who was a conservative thinker and writer at the time, very famous, uh, worried that the right-wing society posed a threat not just to mainstream conservatism, but possibly even towards American democracy. So, okay. as I'm describing all of this, right, this is rhyming a little bit with, uh, you know, <laughs> events. <laughs> Sounds exactly like today. <laughs> <laughs> but even with this, so so it, it's going to sound more like today. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, so even with this, Republican politicians like 1964 presidential candidate Barry Goldwater would dismiss Welch as a far-right kook. Uh, but also embrace the membership uh, as they were just they were just hardworking patriots. Uh, <laughs> They're just misled. Yeah, their yeah. votes are important to me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course. And, and he would he wanted their votes, so he complained to Buckley. He said, "Every other person in Phoenix is a member of the John Birch Society," which is just wow, an indictment at Phoenix at the time, <laughs> yeah. but also just uh, wow. So. Um, yeah, he would lose the election, uh, and some would say for not leaning hard enough into that kind of fringe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Goldwater. But, yeah, even though he criticized Welch, he still spoke fondly of the John Birch Society members, saying they believed in the Constitution, they believe in God, and they believe in freedom. I love the uneducated. <laughs> okay, yeah, so once again... Exactly like now, kind of. Mm -hmm. So, surprisingly, the hero in all of this, which is not something I will ever, ever say about this man again in any context, mm -hmm. is Richard Nixon. Oh, no. <laughs> what? So, That's like... He, that, he, he hated... That doesn't make sense in my brain. No. <laughs> but he hated the John Birch Society. Okay. Because yeah. he had he refused to, uh, to, to associate with them and actually lost, a, a, I think, a gubernatorial race because of it mm -hmm. back in the early 60s. They were too crazy for Nixon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's <laughs> fucking saying something. <laughs> so, um, eventually Nixon becomes president, as we all know, uh -huh. uh, and, and he embraces China uh, and opens up U.S. foreign policy to China, which, of course, the John Birch Society is like, he's communist. a <laughs> fucking communist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so because of that, they, they get even pushed further away from mainstream republicanism or whatever at the time, which was rising. So uh, uh, Ronald Reagan becomes president, and, and he kind of gives a little bit of a wink, but like not too much. He's like, no, I'm not a member. And they're like, what? But it says right here you are. <laughs> no, no, no. But they're just, they're just like, do you believe in their ideologies? Look, there's some patriots there, you know, like yeah, kind of like yeah. same thing that 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 we see today. He's with, sitting on the fence. Yeah, exactly. He's leaning towards one side clearly. <laughs> so, even though uh, the society's peak influence period has long passed us, so surprise, surprise, it's still around to this day and still claiming the communist takeover is very close. Mm -hmm. It has been 60 years. Welch was right. <laughs> any day now. <laughs> any, any minute. <laughs> yeah. So also fluoride in your drinking water. Communist. Communist. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're learning a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're covering a lot of ground here. Um, and you can still buy books, which I, 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 I don't want you to go buy their books. Like, don't buy their <laughs> books. But here's some titles you can, you can get. Um, UN's Agenda 2030. 
Marxist stealth plan for world government. 2030. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming up soon. It's coming, exactly. It's eight years. Just far enough that you'll buy the book, but like not... It, yeah. You can still sell in, it for like a number of 2030, years. 2030, they're going to be like, communist takeover 2040, we fucked up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to carry a one. <laughs> Here's the thing, Welch was drunk, he told us. Yeah. Everything ran 10 years behind. So... Uh, there's also uh, China, the deep, t- d- the deep state's Trojan horse in America, second edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, second edition. Uh, as well as a handy handbook on how to support your local police force, Edzie. <laughs> a handy handbook. Well, I mean, I called it a handy handbook. Oh, they just okay. call it a support your local police handbook. Um, so that's kind of whacked out. What do you need a fucking handbook yeah, to do don't. that for? You don't. You don't. You absolutely don't. <laughs> what does it say in it? If it, it should just say, only treat people with respect that treat you with respect. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you support it. That's how you support your local police force. Yeah. Uh, fuck off. Anyways. So, <laughs> so we're going to get um, into this now. So uh, two and a half years prior to Welch and his cabal of wealthy businessmen assembling to start a fucking whacked out conspiracy that still reverberates to this day. Very strongly, unfortunately. Um, What's this got to do with baseball? Well, Eric Shaw was born on May 19th, 1956 in Riverside, California. Okay. So, Shaw was the oldest of three siblings and was the only boy uh, having younger sisters, Leslie and Cindy. Eric's parents were Yvonne and Les Shaw. Les had grown up rough on the streets of Pittsburgh and loved baseball, which he decided from a young age would be Eric's career. So. Okay. <laughs> that, this is simple enough. Yep. He's going to be baseball. Yep. That's, uh, you'll see. Yeah, okay. uh, so Les claimed to have been a good baseball player in his day, uh, often saying he played AAA ball for the Milwaukee Braves, but his claims are not backed up by any records. Mm-hmm. So we can look that stuff up today. Yeah, yeah. And so he grew up rough, and and apparently one of his his friends and stuff was a was a major boxer in Pittsburgh, and Les loved boxing. He really knew how to fucking throw hands, and he used that to be abusive asshole to everyone in his life, including his family. Okay. So piece of shit. Yeah, we're going places. Because the first part's going to be interesting. The second part's going to be fucked. Yeah, he said it would be sad. Yeah. Um. So uh, he pretty much beat his wife and kids. uh, Cheating on his wife. Uh, He would make racist, racist statements about the Jews and civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. And was just, by the sounds of it, an all-around really shitty guy. Yeah. Sounds like a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, still, Eric loved and idolized his dad. And he wanted to please his dad. Mm-hmm. So, he wanted to be a good baseball player. And he was a good baseball player, among other things. Eric was a very bright, bright kid. Okay. Uh, and a very bright man. Uh, so, he was a good ball player, and by the sounds of it, a very good pitcher as well by a young age. And surprise, surprise, Les, his father, was the typical shitty parent (laughs) walking around during games, yelling and cursing and yelling at umpires, giving his son instructions from the bleachers. I thought this was America. (laughs) (laughs) He's Randy marching it (laughs) every time Les is on, or uh, Eric's on the mound. Um, 
So eventually, he even starts calling games from behind the catcher. Like, he stands behind he's the He's calling screen. the balls and strikes? Yeah, he's calling, well, not calling the balls and strikes. He's calling slider or fastball, you know. Oh, okay. And the catcher's like, what the fuck, man? And <laughs> you're super, you, yeah. usurping my authority. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, the catcher eventually had to tell him, like, fuck off. And it's kind of a cool story. Like, 15-year-old eventually was just like, hey, uh, Mr. Xiao, uh, stop. <laughs> Stop doing that. And it, I guess he did, which, but it sounded like he was more like impressed that this young man wasn't just like, hey, fuck off. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I respect you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, that wasn't even his worst behavior. Uh, after a mediocre game at the age of 12, Eric had shown up the umpire a little bit. Uh, Les smacked the shit out of Eric in the back of the family car as the, his wife... His mom, Yvonne, tried to protect him, and his sisters were looking on in, in terror. So, yeah. That sounds like a horrible, horrible scene. Yeah, and, and Eric, by all accounts, just kind of takes it. Like, he doesn't fight back. or he's well, just, like Yeah, I know. What are you going to do? You're 12. Yeah. Um, but, oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, it's like the home you live in. Yeah. Where are you going to go? Yeah, and, and, and once again, there's a lot of surprise, surprise things. Uh, Eric Eric slowly started to mirror his father's behavior a little bit too, right? Not in I, I don't ever I don't know a necessarily abusive way, but but definitely in in being petulant and like erratic and just like right. Well, like yeah, it's it's your it's your male figure that you're yeah, growing up yeah. <laughs> watching. We all do an impression of what we learn. Yeah, exactly. What we see. Yes. Um, yeah. So. As he matured, uh, Eric had a different outlet besides baseball, though, which was really awesome. Uh, he was a natural musician and an excellent guitar player. So he had been learning songs Jeez, by... This story is just going everywhere. Yeah, no, trust okay. me. That's what I mean. You're not going to guess the ending. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he was a natural musician, excellent guitar player. He would learn songs by ear from a young age. He jammed with his friends and even had a band called Annabelle Lee. His dad even supported it. Dad's okay. like, yeah, that's great. You're a great musician. I play for our guests we have over for dinner, where we were pretend like I don't beat you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but nothing could get in the way for baseball, though. You couldn't as long as as long as he played music and still did well in baseball. His dad didn't care. Okay. But the guitar would be taken away as if a punishment. If he sucked at baseball. Not necessarily. Probably happened. I don't have any like proof of that. But it sounded like. No matter what Eric did, that had to be priority. Baseball one. was the priority. Like okay. you could be grounded and like not allowed to go out, but you're still playing baseball. So right, yeah, uh, it's the meal ticket. Exactly. So, uh, so a quote from his sister Cindy. So Tom Friend's uh, 2010 piece on show for AESPN was fantastic. I got a lot of shit from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you, Tom Friends. Uh, in fact, I think his saber or the saber article on show was mostly written by someone who read Tom Friend's article as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's a few different things here, uh, but a lot of quotes come from that. There's a few from the LA Times as well, so I'll do my best. But here's one from uh, that ESPN article. He liked the fact, uh, this is from Cindy, who is his uh, younger sister, he liked the fact that my brother was musically talented, talking about the father. Yes. Uh, but he'd be damned if it was going to interfere with Eric's baseball. He'd say, put the goddamn guitar down and go out and practice. So... <laughs> We're going out and shagging fly balls. Put your sheet music away. Yeah, exactly. So Eric continued to excel at baseball, and he was hitting the mid-80s in his early high school years. 
so he's throwing beans, especially at the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. uh, it's the, I guess, the, the 70s or, yeah, early 70s. Yeah. Uh, he starts acting out on the field. He grew his hair out, and he bought a motorcycle as soon as he could. <laughs> I'm playing for the damn Yankees, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on weekends, his band would play at a dance hall, uh, and for the first time, Eric began to experience uh, experiment with drugs, mainly just alcohol and weed. Mm-hmm. So okay. he's just he's just dipping his toe and just like okay yeah I'm like just doing with the gateway drugs. Well, and you can tell he's like the kind of guy that you know he's been abused his whole life. Yeah, he's not gonna baseball's the only thing that his father gives a shit about, so he's not gonna give that up. But every other aspect of his life, he's gonna rebel. Yeah, against against his father. So uh, still, his talent on the ball field rose above all else. So. Not that his father gave him a choice, but mm-hmm. he succeeds. Uh, Shao gets drafted by the Minnesota Twins out of high school. Okay. But it was one of the last picks in the draft, and Shao it was 669th overall. So Shao decides oh, to go home, uh, and he has a scholarship to a local Division II university, uh, the University of California, Riverside, where he would major in physics, because once again... He's not just a baseball player. He's a genius. And a musician. He loves math and physics yeah. and psychology. And Yeah, you said he was very, very bright. Yeah, he's a very, very bright young man. So, honestly, it's probably good he went and got his diploma because he probably wanted that more. But it was probably bad that it was in a local place because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he at home. His, yeah, he stayed home. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. So... At this point, uh, his mother, Yvonne, had left uh, Les, which is good for her. Yeah, uh, but Les... But left the kids. Yeah, but, well, the the, he's yeah he's in college, so I yeah, don't know okay. exactly his living kinda, situation. But he's still local, off. and Les is still attending every one of Eric's games. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he would celebrate his victories and degrade his failures. During one particular rough outing where Eric could not control his fastball, Les popped down to the side of the dugout and berated Eric. According to the same ESPN article, Doug Smith, the Riverside catcher, claimed, His dad said, What the hell's wrong with you? Why can't you do this, you piece of shit? Oh my god. <laughs> he's a grown-ass man. Yeah, at this point he's like eight, 19, 18. That's what I mean. Yeah. So Eric's problems on the I'm mound. I'm a grown man. <laughs> yeah. So his his problems on the mound uh, weren't just you know occasionally not having his fastball command, but he would get pouty and have fits on the mound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the stuff was undeniable. He was throwing low nineties at this point. Uh, he's got a wicked slider. He's a petulant kind of piece of shit, and he's very smart alecky and very smart ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he's had a rough go. Yeah, yeah. He clashed with his teammates and his coach, and like stared down his coach after uh, the coach was calling the signs from the dugout, and they threw a pitch that he didn't want to throw, and the guy hit a home run, and he was like, <laughs> so you know, he was just being petulant. Yeah. Um, his friend and bandmate uh, got into a part, got into a tussle at a party, and had a gun pulled on them. So, just like holy shit, they get out of the situation. Eric goes, "I'm gonna go get my gun." <laughs> so, oh. I had a conversation about guns in America yeah. earlier today. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is where a little bit of luck comes into play because, as you can see. He was very close to 
just fucking it all up. And once again, it'll come back. But anyways, Eric immediately jumped in his car. He raced back to his place, grabbed his gun. But by the time he got back, the party had been broken up and the police were there. Good. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, finally, something good happens. In 1975, Eric got out of Riverside, finally, and he went to Wichita, Kansas for a summer league. Mm-hmm. There he met his future wife, Karamia Nierderhaus. So, he meets her, uh, immediately is just completely spin with her. Uh, he's got his guitar out, and they're at a restaurant, but he was that guy that would, like, after games, the team's having a meal at a restaurant, just be sitting there with his guitar, like, not talking to anybody. <laughs> and then he sees this girl, and he's just like, hey, can I play you a song? Serenades her. Yeah, she's like, can you play Stairway to Heaven? And he's just like, boom, well, I should have listened to Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> so I'm Stairway to Heaven. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Play classical guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, as they, they were, it's all hokey. Like he plays it, and they're just like in love right away. Yeah. Um, so Eric's behavior began to improve as as he met a woman, and, and you know things started getting better. Uh, he he could still be petulant at times, but he seemed to have focus and actual purpose now. Uh, the team went on to win the 1977 Division II College World Series with Shao in the middle of the rotation. The next June, Shao was drafted in the 18th round this time and 447th overall by the lowly San Diego Padres. Hmm. That's not bad. I moved up 200 spots. Yeah, no. So college was a good thing, but I would say just his father was an asshole. <laughs> still hanging out. So this is a good part, right? He's got a wife. He's drafted. His dad is can't do that anymore, um, even though it is still local and you're still living yeah pretty locally uh it's about two hour drive i think i looked it up from riverside to san diego so in 1978 at 22 shao made his pro debut with the walla walla padres of the low class a northwest league walla walla washington (laughs) walla walla uh so he pitched 60 innings and did well enough to earn a promotion uh the next season in 1979 shao married caramia and built up the start a starter's workload for the Reno Silver Sox of the Class A California League. He threw 169 innings and led the team in wins. As the 70s turned to the 80s, Shao was working his way to the upper levels of the minor leagues, and it seemed like just a matter of time before his major league debut. In September 1981, he got his wish. So, okay. uh, rosters expanded. Uh, in September, and he was having a stellar season in Double and Triple A. He got called up on September second, nineteen eighty-one, against the Chicago Cubs, a team that he would have lots of history against. Uh, he threw two shutout innings in relief on the way to a five-to-four Padres victory in front of his family and the home crowd at Jack Murphy Stadium. Eric Shaw, Les Shaw's son, was a big leaguer. <laughs> Nice. Yes. <laughs> I assume that means the story's over. Yeah, it's 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 a happy ending. They they yeah. hug, and the dad's like, "I'm sorry, I hurt you." Oh. It was all worth it though, wasn't it? Yeah. Now give me some money. Yeah. <laughs> 
that does not happen. Okay. Oh dear. Oh oh how That's a how innocent director, you are. Director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> happy just director's cut. Yeah. The next part too is just <laughs> just happy music. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, so Eric uh, soon established that he was there to stay, uh, posting a 6.64 ERA over 150 innings as a hybrid reliever starter in 1982. He pitched in 14 ga- or, sorry, 47 games, 14 of which he started, and two of which were complete games. Mm, not bad. Yeah, he also notched four saves and finished eighth in Rookie of the Year voting in his first full season. Around that time, Eric Shaw also found... Christ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. So he's a big leaguer now. And I say we, we've talked a, a little bit about, you know, he has a lot of questions. A lot of... I mean, Eric asking questions is going to be a theme of these next hour and a half of our life. Okay. Um, <laughs> and he asked a lot of questions, good and bad. So in this case, his mother, Yvonne, had taken Eric and his sisters uh, to church as a kid. It sounded like Les did not give a fuck about church whatsoever. And his, it was his, con- his character would, <laughs> yeah. would lend to the fact that uh, yeah. that, was co- that was true. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he, uh, it might have even been a nice refuge for the family to be like, oh, God, thank <laughs> yeah. God for Sunday. Yeah. Um, uh, Sanctuary! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably because of the abuse... Uh, Xiao, you know, he, he never really got into it, but, but it, throughout his early 20s, Eric had searched for meaning and was clearly a bright young man with lots of questions about the universe. He was fascinated with physics and studied Judaism as well as Buddhism before deciding to become a born-again Christian. Weird. Yeah. Weird route to take. This is going, this is going, it's, if it's, yeah, it's going all over the map, man. Uh, so we've already gone from... A long way, musician, all this stuff, and that keeps up. But he is so he—he's a weird eccentric guy, and he's a Christian follower now. He's really leaning into it, and he finds two teammates with the same Christian beliefs as him: Dave Dravecki and Mark Thurmond. So he's mm-hmm. on the Padres, and he's like, "Do you guys like Jesus?" And they're like, "Yeah." And he's like, "That's I why like we're Jesus on the Padres, too. man." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. They really like each other. Uh, the two help Shao, especially Dravecki by the sounds of it, with some of the questions he's had about morals and life and afterlife and the universe and all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. It sounds like he's a very bright guy that was easy to think he found the answer. Okay. But anyways, uh, I'm just reflecting all of a sudden in the middle of a sentence. So uh, uh, they would go to the Padres Team Sunday Chapel every Sunday uh, and discuss theology and politics. Um, they Padres were, had a team chapel? They did. They did. You'll hear about another team having a team chaplain. Uh, okay. <laughs> yep. Yes, they absolutely did. We're going to say a prayer before the game. <laughs> we're all not all savages like Serrano here. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so that was more yeah. that scene from major league was more real than, yes uh, absolutely okay yeah no that's that's just, that's basically, just a joke yeah that's dave dravecki talking yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> dave dravecki by the way probably may have his own episode there's a few guys in here okay. um the two helped Xiao with his questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked politics. Uh, they were known as the Pep Boys for their Christian beliefs and form close form bond. And you know, okay, they were 
clean cut and stuff, which is, once again, very different from the teenage Eric Xiao riding a motorcycle with long hair and smoking mm-hmm. weed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Eric was leading hard into the Christian and conservative beliefs, and he seemed like uh, such a bright person. Uh, he began, he began, I guess, to be like Christ-like. So he's really leading into this. He's making a lot of money, not a ton at this point, because it's still his like first couple of years. But he will make a lot of money, and he's just handing fifty dollars bills out to people on the street. If he sees a beggar, he'll talk to them, give them some money, and and ask about their life and salvation. Right? Okay. He's really born againing it and being like, "I was saved. Like I can help you." And, you know, he's even taking people to detox centers if they want to go. Well, he's like, I'll drive good. you there. That's I'll drive good. you there. Right? So, good yeah, for him. Exactly. Good for him helping out. Trust me, you're going to have a lot of feelings about Eric Shout. It's never going to be clear if you like him or not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, he was, I think, wanted to please people. And, and, and he really was just like, I'm Christian, so I'm going to be Jesus-like. Mm-hmm. And to a certain point, that's awesome. And then there's a certain point where, anyways. Um, so we'll he, see, I guess. Yeah. Well, you'll see. You won't see. But anyways, <laughs> um, he would drive people to detox. They would go out. The, the pep boys would go out for dinner, and he would invite a homeless person. He'd be like, hey, "Have you eaten dinner? Like, come with us." Well, and so these major leaguers walk into a restaurant with like a homeless guy. And yeah. We're like we're for table that. for four, please. Yeah. So this is awesome. Um, he was still playing music. He loved rock, and, and he was really getting into jazz guitar, and he loved jazz fusion and stuff like that. He would play music on the road for his teammates and take requests, uh, or hotel lobby jazz bands. He would just be like, hey, can I jam with you guys, right? So he's very... You guys know any Satriani? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's very, very, very... So he's practicing his guitar. He, he's, he's rooming with Dravecki, uh, and, and he would even like play his guitar in the bathroom at night, so Dravecki was sleeping and it wouldn't bother him. Um, so he's very still loves his music. He's he's very bright. He's asking questions. He's really leaning into this this Christian angle, um, but he's also still a bit of a dick on the baseball field. And definitely baseball. He he never has positive feelings about baseball. Uh, he had this group, uh, but he could come off pretty condescending to the rest of his teammates. He and teammate Alan Wiggins would have spirited debates and arguments around philosophy, religion, and politics, with Eric normally falling to the right of Wiggins' views, where Wiggins was an admirer of Malcolm X. Uh, Shao would half-joke that Ronald Reagan's too far to the left for me. (laughs) Yeah. Still, the men uh, seemed to be great teammates, and from what I can read, they were actually kind of friends, or at least had a mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. So they kind of liked, they liked going at it debate-wise. Right. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Once again, he's a bit of a contrarian prick, especially saying stuff like that to a black teammate. Is yeah. Uh, yeah. But also, like, kind of. I mean, not to excuse it, but like in that time, I feel like. People were a much more brazen with their oh yeah with with that kind of thing. Well, and Wiggins too, right? It it, it takes two, and Wiggins was definitely, I, and Wiggins. Oh my God, Wiggins is going to have his own episode, anyways. But just like Wiggins is is his own character, it, it, but it seemed like there was mutual respect there. I could be wrong on mm-hmm. that one, so I don't mm-hmm. want to excuse you know behavior. But at the same point, from most accounts, 
it seemed to be mutual. There seemed to be respect, even right. though they would be on opposite ends of debates. Yeah. Um, so he was announced as the opening day starter for the Padres in 1983, and he went 15 and 12 with over 200 innings pitched and established himself as a true front end MLB starter. Okay. So even with the success, Eric Shaw was always down on his game. Teammates noticed his body language when they made an error, or even when he recorded it hard out. He just motherfucker. Oh, so he's yeah. He's uh, he's he's not good at concealing his emotion on the on the field there. No, and it okay. would it would rub his teammates the wrong way. Oh, baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he would pout and and mope even after okay outings. He never thought he was good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just described, like, he just had a wicked year. Yeah. <laughs> He's, you yeah. know. Uh, teammates found they couldn't talk to him about the game. He always found faults in himself and his teammates, or the way they were playing, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goose Gossage uh, came to the team, I think, in 84. Uh, he tried to let him know, or and tried to let him know to let stuff go and that so much of this game was out of your control, but soon gave up, as did many others. Eric was just too negative. <laughs> don't be too negative, but also don't be too happy. Don't flip your fucking bats. I'm yeah. Goose Gossage. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, at least Goose was trying to be like, hey, man. I know. No, uh, I come no. on. I know Goose yeah. is a bit of a, a, a caricature yeah. <laughs> at this point. It's his own fucking fault. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, anyways. No, but I see what you're saying there. Like, trying to be a bit of a veteran influence on the kid and be like, you know, hey... It doesn't matter. And you're doing fine, so don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. And he'd yeah. be like, no, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking shit, goose. Yeah. And eventually you just go, okay, I'm not talking yeah, to whatever, you. Man. Yeah, whatever, man. Done. Yeah. Uh, so Shao reported to spring training in Arizona in 1984, a year that would be magical for the Padres. We've heard a little bit about this mm-hmm. in the San Diego Chicken episode. Yo, oh, there's a big fight as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Fight that That's year. in August. Uh, we're yeah. not going to cover that. <laughs> Listen to the Bean Brawl episodes for <laughs> yeah. that one. Um, but it would come... <laughs> that year wouldn't come without its controversies. There's fights, but yes. Uh, so during spring training... Whether he sought it out or not is kind of unclear, but Eric Shaw found himself in the John Birch Society bookstore. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So that's why I I started with that. my seat. Yeah, and honestly, it's, it's... Things are coming full circle here. (laughs) (laughs) It's, yeah, so... Um, the conservative anti-communist and self-reliance writings from the society struck a chord with Shao, who immediately introduced it to his fellow pep boys, uh, Dravecki and Thurmond. Boys, I found some fucking books that we gotta read. Remember how we were like, Jesus, and we hate communists? These guys do too. I don't know what else they hate, but we're definitely gonna volunteer for them. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as much research as I need to do. <laughs> yeah, which who knows? But that's yo. Know, that would be their excuse. So Shao actually joined the society and began studying its doctrines and decorated his new car with a U.S. out of the U.N. bumper sticker. 
Okay. (laughs) I find it starts to become problematic when you start decorating your car. Have you seen seen people's cars being decorated? They never don't look insane. That's true. That's true. As soon as you put... What is the line? Political. (laughs) What's the line, though? How many bumper stickers are you allowed before you start to look fucking insane? That's a good question. I think you could I'm going to say seven. Seven. See, but it depends on the size as well. And are they all the same thing? Well, yeah. That's true as well. But, I mean, if they're, like, in your face, like... Right. You know... Like, how political are they? Like, if they're just ones that you bought from one of those, like, vending machines and just a thing slides out... Yeah. Like, you're allowed to have all 30 MLB teams on your truck tailgate if you want. Yeah, that just shows you're a fan, (laughs) not that you believe... But also that you're a slightly insane fan. Why are we on this tangent? Well, you said it's always the car. Once you get to the car, you've (laughs) gone too far. You've jumped the shark at the car. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, and he's being outward about this now. So, people... Uh, began to notice, and as we know from previous episodes, the, the Padres bust out. They they have a great uh, a 1984, and, and Padres fever sweeps throughout the nation. Um, Shao kept pitching superb and would win 15 games for the second straight year and started in 32 games. He would even record a song with a friend entitled Padres Win Again. So we got like some Lenny Randall music stuff oh, going man. on at this point, too. Um, But almost in the exact middle of the season, word spread that the three Pep Boys uh, had been caught handing out John Birch Society literature at the Del Mar Fair on a day off. (laughs) The Del Mar Fair. Yeah, I guess. It's like a county fair. I think it's a county. And they're just... Yeah, so they're really... You know, Shao apparently was the ringleader and was like, Hey, you guys come and hang out at the fair with mm-hmm. me on Thursday. A bunch of these brochures that we need yeah. to hand out. <laughs> it says that the U.S. government <laughs> is going to fall any day now to you, communists. You guys take these bumper stickers and stick them on your cars as well. <laughs> the United I don't know, Nations. John. That's a fine line there, Eric. <laughs> um... So he had convinced them to join them, uh, and there was a media outcry, and the story hit the news around San Diego and across the baseball world. The three claimed to be ignorant of the society's fringe politics and racism, and simply enjoyed the anti-communist, pro-capitalist teachings of the society. So that's their defense, is this okay. blows up. Right, right. People... But they double down instead of being like, oh, this, see, this is the problem. Like, <laughs> they, instead of being like, oh, okay, maybe we should throw our support behind a different anti-communist group that isn't so fucking racist or whatever. They're just like, oh, we didn't know, but we're still going to give our money to this group. Well, that's the thing, is, <laughs> is I will say it, it, this, is, this is almost the end of the John Birch Society to this story, because I, I believe they do at least outwardly any support they realize oh shit okay okay. we can't talk about this right publicly it's (laughs) okay but that doesn't mean no it doesn't excuse it in any way no no but i'm saying that also doesn't mean that they didn't continue to support them 100 100 they were very they were just like oh this is rubbing people the wrong way (laughs) we're not going to talk about how blatantly racist we are yeah but they were claimed to be not racist, right? They were just like, we're, we just like the, com- the anti-communist aspects of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to their credit, uh, some of their teammates stood up for them. Some of their black and people of color teammates saying right. that although they disagreed 
with a lot of their beliefs, mm -hmm. they did not see them as racist. Right. But fans didn't give a fuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, right. fans did not care. And as you'll see, once this is on your resume, it's on your resume. Mm -hmm. So uh, fans used it as fodder, and Xiao became the face of the controversy. So fans are absolutely just ripping into him, you know, calling him a racist and a bigot, right? Yeah. Throughout it, they're trying to... And the Padres are good, right? So the Padres fans are probably brushing it off like, no, it's fine. Did you hear what Alan Wiggins had to say? It was good. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the fans are like, oh, fucking Padres are winning. They got some yeah. KKK member on the mound, yeah. right? So that's how hyperbolic everybody's being, mm -hmm. that, like, they're mm -hmm. not... Because you know, it's on such a big stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the Padres are doing good. If it's... if Yeah, so that's, that's another part. Um... So, media accused the group of being anti-Semites and racists in some cases. According to Dravecki, one communist newspaper falsely classified the three pitchers as heavily armed, dangerous, and drug traffickers. Which, I, I, I you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Sure. Uh, it's like, it's like. I mean, there was a part where there was, you were talking about a gun earlier, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll get back to that, too. But anyways. Traffic uh, the gun from his closet out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's also a little bit of, like, tea calling the kettle black or, or teapot, whatever. Pot calling the yeah, it's just like, it. these people are have some unhinged conspiracies about us. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't say. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, future <laughs> Hall of Famer Tony Gwen, who is on this team, said that Shao was no bigot, and Shao's lawyer would say Eric joined the, the Birch Society because he thought it would provide answers to how the world works. He was always looking for answers. So that's a very, like, puppy-esque, like, oh, he just... He just he was just wanting to check it out, and despite what he found, he continued to <laughs> fuck with them and decided <laughs> to spread it throughout the world. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so that's the thing is is his teammates are like whether you know his teammates don't love him to death, but they're saying no, he's not a bigot. There's a they're like, did you see the year he had? Yeah. We need to have him on our team. Yeah. <laughs> so, once again, whether he was looking for answers or not, it was not a great look, right? No matter if it was this, this innocent, oh, I wandered into the mm -hmm. wrong bookstore mm -hmm. and joined a cult, uh, <laughs> or, or I actively sought it out, it's not a good look. So his uh, answers weren't good enough. Yeah, and you're going to hear not a great look at, throughout these episodes. Uh, Eric never <laughs> wanted to be like his racist father, but, you know, once again, the apple never falls far from the tree. Uh -huh. uh, but the accusations really did, it sound like, hurt his, well, at least his ego. And he did not want right. to be viewed that way and wanted to be a pleaser by all the sound, by all the sounds of it, right? Yeah. So then really, really... You know, whether he did it to himself or not, this is very negative and continues to be very negative for a long time. Um, and so the Padres keep chugging along in 84. They win 92 games and the NL title. And the story subsided, but it would always be attached to Shao's career. The Padres clinch the AL West that September and head into the playoffs with Shao as their ace. And it did not go well. So, game one, NL championship. 1984, uh, Xiao uh, gets lit up by the Cubs, once again the Cubs, for five runs, uh, and immediately his body language on the mound became sour. The Padres went down 2-0, uh, 
uh, in the best of five series and managed to battle back to tie the series. And the Padres gave Shao the ball for the deciding game five. Mm-hmm. That did not go well. <laughs> okay. Um, Shao was done after recording just four outs and allowing three earned runs. The Padres would rally in the sixth and seventh inning to take the lead and were off to the World Series. Shao wasn't given the ball until game four of the World Series, and the Padres were down two to one uh, to the Tigers. In the series, and once again, the postseason was not kind to Eric. Shao only made it. <laughs> Two outs into the second inning before he was removed and replaced with fellow pep boy uh, Dave Dravecki. So that's his postseason resume. It's uh, not. not it, very good. it was rough. Once again, he's beats himself up. Yeah. About this. Yeah. Right. He got to the World Series and he he didn't perform. Didn't perform, uh, and they lost in five games to Detroit. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he didn't even want to talk baseball. You know, he still talked to his dad, but he refused to call his dad after the World probably, Series. Yeah, that would yeah. be a tough call. That'd be, hey, dad. Based on your history. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, dad. I was going, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 26 now, dad. You need to stop. <laughs> I thought this was American. <laughs> Taking his shirt off. Yeah, Tiger Stadium. <laughs> It appears Les Shown has run onto the field to berate his son. Now he's fighting the third base umpire. <laughs> oh dear, we shouldn't be laughing. No. <laughs> so Shao, um, yeah, they lost. Uh, so um, in, in 1985, Shao had one of his best years, but the Padres' success was not replicated. Um, and yet another controversy faced Shao. Pete Rose was looking to break Ty Cobb's hit record of 4,191. As it drew closer, it looked like it might happen against the Padres. There was a media circus and everyone was asked about it. Xiao's quote turned out to be pretty bad. Once again, bad look after everything was said and done. I'm starting to think that this isn't just fucking mistakes this guy's making. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. Once again, I, I, no, I can't wait for your synopsis at the end of these two episodes. Okay. So Xiao told the media when asked about the record, I'm so disinterested in it. I don't know how to answer that question. Also said, in the eternal scope of things, how much does this matter? Right. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, he is 100% correct. That was either, that was either a horribly disinterested quote or an amazingly enlightened quote. Well, and that's the battle you have to deal with with Eric Shout. Was he brilliant or an asshole? Yeah, was he a dick or was he just like, listen, guys, I did mushrooms and none of this matters. I saw Jesus. Yeah. We talked about things. Yeah. In the grand scheme of the things, only thing that really Ty matters Cobb is, is burning it hell right now that's right and it's just all about love and we just need to move forward <laughs> don't worry about the padres last year yeah so uh unfortunately very unfortunately it happened uh after sitting the first game rose sat the first game uh and not getting a hit the night before 
Rouse stepped up to the plate against Shao in the final game of the series on September 11th, 1985. I feel like they were specifically like, oh, this guy thinks it doesn't matter? Fuck this guy. We're sitting Rose this game so he lines up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know, but yeah. Rouse, 100%, Rose was also the manager. Firm. Rose that's was the manager, happened. too. Oh, so he's the player happened. manager. Yes. Yeah. So, um... Anyways, I, I, I... And was also a bit of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so the teams had been told before, mm-hmm. just like any big record-breaking moment, they're like, hey, if this happens, the game's going to stop for like 15 minutes. Right, yeah. And we're going to do, do a, a thing. thing. Yeah. And Eric Shaw probably did not want to give up a hit to begin with. No, of course not. And how do you think he'd feel about a 15 to 20 minute ceremony before he could throw another pitch? Based on how his ego has reacted to several situations in the last half an hour or so, not well. Yeah. Yeah. So he hangs the slider. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Rose inside outs it into uh, whatever, the outfield, left field, uh, and he gets hit 4,192. And the celebration is on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the fireworks exploded. Cheers from Red fans. His dugout empties. People come out, or not people, but the teams come out on the field. Uh, Shell, very classily, makes his way over and shakes Rose's hand at first base mm-hmm. and says, Congrats. Great, great work. Whatever. Uh, but then he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> go back to the mound and pitch. But the, oh, there's yeah. a big ceremony oh, and yeah. fireworks going off, right. and the owner Marge shots coming onto the field. St. Bernard, yeah, to give him a car and stuff like that. His family's all out on the field now, right? Ty Cobb's ghost presents him with a Chalmers Arthur. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and everyone's lining up to shake his hand, and and, and Eric Shaw's one of the people that's first to shake his hand. Mm-hmm. So he's he's like, I'm done. I did my part. He did his part. He, this is a Seinfeld episode <laughs> yeah. of baseball, if there is ever a Seinfeld episode of baseball. Yeah. Um, so spot, fireworks ex- exploded around, Reds fans and teammates, everybody was cheering, shakes his hand. Uh, then Shao says he felt his back start to tighten up. And as the ceremony began, Shao plopped down and took a seat right on top of the pitcher's mound. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What? It was a bad look. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, everyone's I get, I get standing it. around applauding. He's just like sitting <laughs> up crisscross applesauce. On I the guess. <laughs> yeah. You I mean you can watch it? Um, I don't know that he really focus on it on the broadcast, but it's a bad look, and and people take notice. So his teammates and the media take notice. Uh, and before the game was over, uh, he was exchanging blows with his own left fielder. Carmelo Martinez, after show was overheard making a comment to the pitching coach that he thought Martinez could have caught a fly ball that dropped in. So his team's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, do you, everybody saw you sit down. Like, yeah, he made us fuck, look bad. Made us look bad. And yeah. then he's being petulant. And he's just like, fucking Martinez couldn't catch that ball or whatever. Mm-hmm. Martinez was like, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so Shao is also, his dad's a boxer, right? Shao knows how to throw hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. You never really, there's not really much fighting, but there's always, it always seems, it's very baseball fighty. It always mm-hmm. seems like shubby. people are breaking, shubby. breaking, yeah, breaking it up before it can really get going. Um, 
So the two were separated, but after the game, uh, other teammates were pissed at what he had done, and some th- basically said to his face that they thought he showed up Rose uh, at mm-hmm. that moment. Mm-hmm. And again, punches were almost thrown, and people had to be separated in the clubhouse. Right. Uh, so I mean, you could like argue though that it's just like, well, don't show him on TV if yeah. you think he's showing him up. I mean, at the stadium, you can't well, really do anything about it, but. And he's just like, my back hurt. I wanted to sit. I would, what, It's not normal for a game to stop for 15, 15 minutes. minutes. I shook his hand. What do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I guess the right thing would probably have been go sit in the go dugout. Go in the dugout. Go yeah. sit in the dugout. That, yeah. Or sit in the, go to the clubhouse. Whatever. Yeah. And chill out. But he, once again, it's all optics with this guy. And the optics get really bad in part two, which we're about to get to. Um, so Xiao was starting to feel alienated from his teammates and baseball. And he didn't know it, but his only allies on the team, Dravecki and Thurmond, would both be traded within a year and a half. We gotta get these pet boys out of here. Yeah. On top of all this, Xiao had to face the media. Then, and now for the rest of his career, Xiao had to deal with reporters asking what it was like for him to give up the breaking record-breaking hit. Oh, that would suck so much. And why did you sit down afterwards? <laughs> yeah, even worse. This, by my account, by my reading, was the beginning of the end for Eric Xiao. Hmm, Okay. And we'll pick that up that for part two. And that right there. There you go. A little cliffhanger for y'all. You leaving that cliffhanger there. I think I might know the story of Eric Chow from this point on. Or Maybe. Or a little bit of it. Maybe a but little anyway, bit. I'm excited to hear that uh, coming up in the next couple weeks. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, wow, that's uh, that's been a wild story so far. There's been a lot of stuff in there. You got a little bit of the Lenny Randall musicianship, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's obviously a... He's a good pitcher. He's had a few successful years coming up into the majors on a good team. Yeah. You know. An exciting team that, you know, lots of dish stuff going on. He's a very smart guy, and he's went from a pot-smoking teenage motorcycle guy to a born-again Christian who's Got now, some interesting views. Yeah, got some, yeah, rather shitty likely. views. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, but at the same point, is still kind of a nice guy and wants to please everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, I think I think, well, I mean, not to play amateur psychologist, but I think that maybe comes from his background of his shitty, abusive father. Oh, absolutely. You know. Well, trust me. The next part is uh, is uh, even worse. Okay. And, <laughs> uh, until then, uh, tune in uh, in two weeks. Uh, find us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. Give us a review. Give us a like if you can on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, hopefully, we have some exciting stuff coming up in the near future too. And of course, uh, thanks for listening. Of course. Yeah. And till next time, I'm Sean and I'm Eds, and we were doing the baseball. Tune okay. in in two weeks. Okay, bye. Bye.